Would you please turn your copy of the scriptures to the book of Romans? And we'll go to chapter number 5 this morning. Romans chapter number 5. If you're following along in the pew copy, it's page 794. Romans chapter 5, page 794 in the pew Bible. We will come to that in just a moment. One of the five overarching goals that we have here at Harvest Bible Church is to preach the full counsel of God's Word. One of the ways in which we do that is by continuing the centuries-long tradition of the church to study books of the Bible. We're doing a deep dive into what may be the richest book of the Christian Bible. We're doing it, doing it in sections, so we've been in a bit of a break. We haven't been in Romans for the last seven weeks. But we return to it today, reminded that Romans unfolds the undeserved, unmatched, and unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome who had, he had never met. He was just writing to Jews and Gentiles in the church of, who gathered in Rome. Paul planned to one day stop and to meet them. Lord willing, he was planning a trip to, to Spain and he hoped to stop by and to see them on his way to Spain. He has already unfolded at this point in the letter as we come to chapter 5, the, the priority of, of how the, the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation in the first few verses. He has explained to us the heart of the gospel about God's anger, God's wrath against sin, about man's sin, how that we are all sinners, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That, that salvation does not come by works that God shows no partiality. And then in chapters 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul begins to unfold the assurance that the gospel of Jesus Christ provides for us. And the end of chapter 5 ends this way. Look at verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul began at the beginning of chapter 5 to unfold the assurance that we have because we have peace with God, because we have access to God, because we have joy in God, even through times of suffering, because of God's love that has been showed towards us, uh, even while we are still sinners, because we are fairly justly represented before God. And, and then in chapter 6, he goes into this idea that we are assured because we are alive to God. Chapter 6 addresses one of two falter responses to the end of chapter 5. Uh, chapter 6 addresses this idea of being spiritually sloppy. Oh, well, we're saved by grace. Well, I've, I've got grace. No worries then. I can just live however I want. It doesn't matter. Chapter 7 is going to address another ditch in the road. I need to, that, that is, I need to keep God's law 
in order for God to love me, in order to be accepted by God. Then, after those two, uh, two ditches of the same road are addressed, Paul returns in chapter 8 to this idea that he dropped off from in chapter 5. And in the beginning of chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, so chapters 6 and 7 are a bit of a parenthesis between chapters 5 and 8, and all of it deals with how we are assured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, turn to chapter 7, and we will read our text for this morning. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse number 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion, or is binding, over a man as long as he liveth? For the woman hath an husband, uh, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law, and so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, or the passions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, and being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the old, oldness of the letter or not in the old way of the written code. Friends, if you are here today as someone that has not yet been born again, uh, born again, this text is not only informative for you, but it's also a warning that says no amount of law keeping will ever be enough to gain you fellowship with God. And Christian, for you the passage also warns you not to rest in your own obedience, but it also provides you with the beautiful and grace-filled assurance that Christ has perfectly obeyed the law in your place. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we get caught up with our Christian performance we evaluate our spirituality based on our ability to obey God. A desire to be a spirit-led and a, a fruit-bearing Christian is a great desire. It's a gracious desire that is rooted in a genuine gospel transformation that God has done within the lives of people. In these first six verses of chapter 7, Paul teaches us that a spirit-led and fruit-bearing Christian life does not come through your mastery of God's perfect law. Rather, it comes through your marriage to God's perfect law keeper. Assurance is not found in your obedience. Assurance is not found in the law. Assurance is found in being released from our bondage 
to the law. Paul develops his argument in, in four steps or four sections in these six verses. I alliterated them. If that's a helpful tool for you, great. If it's annoying to you, then just scratch out the P word and put, it in, put in something else uh, if, it, if it's getting on your nerves that way. Paul develops his argument, first of all, by stating the premise of being released from the law. Paul is talking to Christians. He's specifically, especially talking to Jews who know the law so well. I mean, they know the law really, really well. In fact, the Jews were so taken up with the law that in some cases the law became an, uh, an idol to them. That they revered it in, in, in such a way. New Testament Jews took uh, their obedience to the law as, as some of them were taking it as a means of salvation. That's how they kind of understood it. If, if I obey the law, then I'm going to be okay with God. Paul debunks this line of, think, this line of thinking by stating that the law is binding on a person only as long as they are alive. That's his premise. 23 times in chapter 7, Paul mentions the law. Now, God's law is not to be dismissed. It's not to be avoided. Paul is not downplaying the law's importance. Rather, he's clarifying the law's role. Listen to what the Bible says about God's law. Moses said in Exodus chapter 18, When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes, or the law of God, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 42, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. And then we're very familiar with, with what King David said in, in, Psalm, in Psalm number 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring, in, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then David says, more to be desired are they than gold, than much, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. So friends, we can't, can't miss the place of prominence that God gave to his law. That's a reality of the scriptures. God's special people, the children of Israel, were correct to keep his law, to respect his law. However, Paul wants the church at Rome, and, and by extension us, to understand that they had been released, that we have been released from obedience to the law as a means of fellowship with God. Paul states his premise in the form of a question at the end of verse 1. He says, don't you know that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Paul's point, death severs our bondage to the law. It doesn't erase the law. It releases us from, the bo from bondage to the law. Have you ever thought about dead people's relation to things here on earth? I mean, when you die, you're never going to have to do some of the, you're never going to have to do some things ever again. Like, after you die, you're never going to have a flat tire ever again. 
After you die, you're never going to have to cut the grass ever again. After you die, you'll never have to, to pay taxes or listen to politicians lie through their teeth or make a decision about COVID protocols. Hallelujah! Likewise, being dead severs someone's obligation to being a law-abiding citizen. Dead people cannot go over the speed limits. Dead people cannot burglarize your home. Dead people cannot shoplift. Dead people cannot embezzle funds from their employer. Dead people don't break the law. The law only applies to living people. A beginning step to living a spirit-led and fruit-bearing life is to acknowledge that as Christ followers, we can still be tempted to look at the law as a means of being reconciled to God. We can hold ourselves or we can hold one another to expectations that simply will not be reached. We forget that dead people don't break the law. We make rules, even God's law, preeminence over God's Son. A spirit-led and a fruit-bearing Christian life does not come through your mastery of God's perfect law. Rather, it comes through your marriage to God's perfect lawkeeper. So Paul states his premise of being released from the law, that the law is binding on, only on dead people. Secondly, Paul gives to us a picture of being released from the law. Paul wants to make sure that we understand his premise. So he provides us this illustration in verses 2 and 3. And it's a little bit jumbly in the King James, but I'll read it for us again. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he live, lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed or released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man or is living with another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law so that she is not an adulteress, though she be married to another man. Quick disclaimer, we should be careful to understand that this, these two verses are not a primary text on the Bible's teaching on marriage. In other words, it would be a mistake, it would be unwise to use these two verses by themselves to establish a biblical position on divorce and remarriage. You can't use these two verses as an argument that divorce is always sinful or that, re that remarriage is always biblical. So there are other texts that speak into it. Paul's primary point of these two verses are to, to, to illustrate the points that, he's making, that he has already made in verse 1. Namely, that marriage laws are binding only as long as both partners are alive. A widow is fully free from the law that bound her to her former husband. Marriage was established by God as a, as a union that was not to be broken by anything, by anyone except for death. Jesus said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave principle. Then Jesus said, those that God has joined together in marriage, let not man separate. When I officiate weddings, I give the charge to the couple. And by the way, uh, a biblical marriage is one 
person, one individual that was born as a male uniting to one individual that was born as a female. That's what biblical marriage is. And so when I officiate weddings, I give a charge to the couple and then to those who are gathered to witness the bride and the groom, and they exchange vows. And some people write their own vows, which is great, and then some people use traditional vows, and some traditional vows end this way. With God as my helper, I take you to be my wedded wife or my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer or for poorer. Some people snicker at that point. In sickness and in health, to love and to, and to cherish, what? Till death do us I remember Betty Gast, many, many of you will remember a former HBC member. I remember Betty Gast several times after they had already been married for 70 years would say to me regarding their marriage, till death parts us. Unfortunately, our world no longer takes seriously God's expectations of, of a biblical marriage. That's seen in our culture by the lack of commitments. But it was clear to the believers in the church of Rome that a man and a woman were married, they were united together for life. In fact, they lived, if they lived with someone else while their spouse was alive, they were known to be, be adulterous. So the only thing that could end a marriage was death. A good marriage is where decisions are made in concerts with each other, where dedication and commitment to each other is unique. It's unique to that relationship. There's commitments and dedication in other relationships, but the commitment and dedication in that relationship is unique to all others. Uh, it's a good marriage is where, there's, where intimacy is shared like no other human relationship. But if a spouse died, the other is left to make decisions by themselves. The remaining spouse is free to be committed to another person and to enjoy intimacy in another marriage relationship. Why? Because death has released the spouse from the sacred bonds of marriage. So Paul makes his premise that the law is for living people. He provides a picture. Just like death ends a marriage, so death ends a marriage to the law. But what death, we might ask? So next, he makes it personal and he delivers a zinger of hope in verse number four when he explains the principle of being released from the law. Look again at verse number four. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, or we could even read that, I think the ESV says, that you belong to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruits unto God. Just as death released someone from the law of marriage, only death could release someone from God's law. Only death could free someone from being captive to the law's demands. Paul says, Likewise, you also have died to the law. So it's not just one of those mere observations that the law is binding only on the living. It goes way beyond that. And Paul is it's almost emphatic when he's talking to, to these Christians. You also have died to the law. Christian, that's true for you today in 2021. You also, that's the good news, have died to the law. 
how did that happen? I'm still living, right? Still got a heartbeat. How have I died? And Paul answers that question. We have died to the law through the body of Christ. You have been made to, to die by God's working in you to respond with faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sin. You have died via Christ. It's a substitutionary death of Christ. Paul told us earlier, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we have been united with him in a death like his. So he goes on, he says, we have died to the law. We have died to the law through Christ, which means that we belong to another. We are married to another. So instead of, being, of, of being, belonging to the law, we belong to Christ. Instead of belonging to the law, being connected, being, uh, being bound to the law, we are connected, we are married, we are bound to Christ. You are, everyone in this room, is either married to the law or married to Jesus. In this analogy, there's not an unmarried section. You are either attempting to keep God's law in hope that it will be good enough to obtain God's favor and not his anger against your sin, or you are trusting in the perfect lawkeeper, Jesus, in faith that God will accept Christ's lawkeeping in your place. Friend, if, if you're walking through life with doubts about God, if you're struggling with fear of God's wrath for your own sin, God wants you to know that He has made a way for you to be assured that you will not face His anger for your sin. His Son, Jesus, obeyed all the law in all of its points and God is willing to accept Christ's success in your place. That Christ perfectly obeyed for you. God requires that you turn from your sin, that you believe that Jesus obeyed in your place. And you can do that right now where you sit. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. If you have further questions about that, if you don't really understand how that exchange works, I'll be here after the service. I'll be glad to chat with you about the gospel of Jesus. Christian, you have died to the law for the body of Christ so that you may, Paul says, belong to another, to the one who has been raised. So being released from the law is not only good news because it cancels out the expectation of the law, but being released from the law is good news because it means we belong to Jesus. Belonging to a group or to someone else as one of the amazing experiences of life on this earth. Belonging to a club, or to a school, or to a team. I'm so thankful I belong to this country. I love my country. It's a mess right now, but I'm glad to belong to my homeland. But any belonging on this earth pales in comparison to what Paul is driving at. Being released from the law is good news because it means we belong to Jesus. Christian, you need to stop and just meditate on that reality. You belong to Jesus. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. 
Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Loved with everlasting love, I am His, and He is mine. Jesus is possessive, and He is jealous over His sheep. He goes out to seek them. Assurance comes not just because we don't have to keep the law to have fellowship with God. Assurance comes because we belong to Jesus. Christian, maybe you're one of those individuals who has a sensitive conscience. When you fail and you clearly violate God's law, remind yourself that you belong to Jesus. When Satan tempts you to despair, look above and see him there, the one who made an end to all your sin. Christian, that is your identity. We belong to Jesus. We have died to the law through the body of Christ so that we may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So we have died. So the law does not bind us anymore because we have died through the body of Christ. What does it mean that we belong to another? Salvation brings a full change of, spirit, of our spiritual relationship, just like a widow or a widower has a completely different relationship after they marry following the death of their, their first spouse. This points us to the transformation that Paul speaks of in the remaining part of the passage. A spirit-led and a fruit-bearing Christian life does not come through your mastery of God's law. Rather, it comes through your marriage to God's perfect lawkeeper, His Son, Jesus Christ. So Paul makes his initial points. The law only applies, is only binding to the living. He gives the illustration of marriage. He reminds us that it's us who have died to the law through Christ. And then lastly, he further develops his argument by giving us the purpose of being released from the law. Look again at the end of verse, uh, let me just read verses 4, 5, and 6. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also became dead unto the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, that you belong to another, even to him who has been raised from the dead. Why? so that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Purpose. For when we were in the flesh, the motions or the passions of sins, which were by the law, they, those were at work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now he's returning to the purpose. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and not in the oldness of the written code or the, or the law. So the purpose of being released from the law, friends, is that we would bear fruit for God and that we would serve in the new way of the Spirit. And sandwiched in between those two purpose statements in verse 4 and verse 6, Paul gives us a quick flashback, right, to how we used to serve. We used to serve in the, according to the passions of our flesh, Sinful passions, impulses to think and to, to, do, to do wrong. Sinful desires to act out through, through, through deed or attitude. That was the natural way for us to live before we came to Christ. We were not married to Christ at that time. We were bound. We, we, the law had dominion over us. Then, verse 6 says, But now. This is one of those beautiful 
turns uh, that we see very often in scriptures. But God, or but now. But now we belong to Jesus. We are no longer captive to our obedience to the law. We've been released from living in the flesh. One pastor said it this way, Paul's point is not simply that the redemptive person is able to do what is right, but that he will do what is right. We read in Galatians chapter 2, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have been saved by grace through faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now that we are released from the law, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. We live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Being a Christian means that we have a complete change in our loyalties. We want, we desire, in fact, to, to please God by living in the new way of the Spirit. Tara and I will complete 25 years of marriage later this year. You know how to pray for her. Wow, what grace. Before we were married, we, many of the decisions that we made, we, we made by ourselves, right? Like if I wanted a, a Redskins bedspread, I would just go out and, and get it. But now that we are married, there is an obligation to make decisions together. And that's precisely why we don't have a Redskins bedspread in our home. But also, there is a great delight and security and assurance that results from our union. We long to make decisions that will benefit the other. We receive pleasure in the union by giving pleasure, by seeking to know the desires of the other, and then gladly make changes to help the other receive their desires of their hearts. Likewise, because we are married to Christ as God's children, we desire to bring God pleasure, to give Him what He desires, to make changes to our lives that will result in God being pleased and His desires of His heart being met. We have been released from our old marriage. Does that mean we ignore God's law? No, not at all. God's law outlines truth and God's law outlines kindness and generosity and honesty and purity but now that we belong to another we use the law to please the one to whom we belong we are not married to the law we are married to Jesus the call is to please Christ one of the ways that we can please Christ is by following his example of law keeping the law is not a burden that's weighing us down, hanging over us. Rather, it's a delight to obey because it brings our groom much joy. The image of belonging to Christ in a marriage should change how you live this week. Serve in the new way of the Spirit. 
How are you serving in the new way of the Spirit? How are you living in a way that pleases your bridegroom? How are you bearing fruit for life and not for death in your members? Christian, go live to delight your groom this week. Go throw kindness all over the person that threw shade on you this week. Go live in harmony with one another because it delights Jesus for you to do so. Go love your wife, Christian man, with, just like Christ loves the church because he delights for you to do so. Go welcome those who have the opposite opinion than you have regarding vaccines and masks and do it because it delights Jesus for you to do so. Go pursue sexual purity in mind and in body because it delights Jesus for you to go and live that way. Go use self-control with your tongue because it makes your bridegroom joyous. Go refuse to take the name of the Lord our God in vain because it makes your groom delight and joyous. Go be honest in a world that is inundated with dishonesty. Go read your Bible and go pray because by doing so, you will bear fruits of the transformation that Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to, to duty. You don't have a duty to the law. Rather, you have a delight in it because it brings joy to your Savior. A spirit-led and a fruit-bearing Christian life does not come through your, through your mastery of God's perfect law. Rather, it comes through your marriage to God's perfect law keeper, His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is precisely why we can have a complete assurance in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to keep God's law. It's fully dependent upon Jesus' ability and his success in keeping God's law in our place. Christian, you're released. You are no longer bound by the law. Your whole life is different now. You're released from something and released to something. You're released from keeping the law in order to be right with God, and instead you are released to bearing fruit in order to show Christ your appreciation for his sacrifice that he made for you. May God help us as the people of Harvest Bible Church to bear much fruit and to walk in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code for God's own glory, for his joy in us in the days to come. Let's pray.